1: This is an Irish independent podcast. A warning. This podcast contains issues people might find upsetting. Totally devastating news that is breaking at the moment. I'm reading a statement. It is with great sadness that we announce the passing of our beloved Sinead. Her family and friends are devastated and have requested privacy at this very difficult time. Sinead in question is Sinead O'Connor, and that is incredibly sad news. Today on the Indo-Daily, Sinead O'Connor, the singer, the songwriter, the storyteller. That voice...
0: It was extraordinary and it will always be extraordinary because as long as recorded music moves us, Sinead O'Connor will move us.
1: From a troubled childhood to global fame, Sinead O'Connor's unique voice, talent and personality captivated audiences across the world.
0: And the winner is Sinead O'Connor.
1: But beyond the albums accolades and acclaim was a fragile soul seeking peace in a world that didn't understand her at times
0: I think she would like to be remembered as a great singer who released some extraordinary music who helped change lives who stood up for women and vulnerable people
1: it's been seven hours and days. intelligent influential intense She was truly iconic, a trailblazer, and one of a kind. I'm Fianon Sheehan, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Irish independent music writer John Marr to discuss the life and legacy of Sinead O'Connor. John, can you tell us about Sinead O'Connor's early childhood, family, and upbringing?
0: Yes, uh, she was born in 1966 in Glenigiri in South County, Dublin. Um, she was the third child of Sean and Mary O'Connor. Um, Sean was a structured engineer and he became a barrister and then chairperson of the, the Divorce Action Group. Um, she had a, a very challenging childhood and she has written and about this extensively uh, especially in her acclaimed memoir Rememberings which came out um, a couple of years ago. The parents split up when she was eight and the three eldest kids went to live with her mother. Now Sinead consistently said that she suffered physical and emotional abuse at the hands of her mother. What happened was, when the day my father left, we were very upset. My father had built us a shed in the garden, a hut to play in. My mother was so angry at us for being upset that he left, that she said, right, if you love him that much, you can live in the shed. So from the day he left, we were living in the garden for months. That's something that found its way into song as well. But the upshot was that, you know, she was... A truant at school, she went from one school to the next. At one stage, um, she found herself sort of shipped off to Watford to a Quaker school. It actually turned out to be a, a blessing in disguise because a teacher there sensed her extraordinary talent for singing and encouraged her to make a four-song demo. And as is so often the case with amazing artists, you need those people in your life. In at critical stages to kind of say you have talent you need to pursue this so amid all the chaos of her early life there were people there who saw that there was something special within her when it came to music
1: yeah and and this interest in music c- came true uh, obviously it was how she expressed uh herself and as you say People identified that talent very early on. Um, the Irish band of the, of the mid 80s, Intuanua, she almost became their lead singer when she was just a teenager. She was working with The Edge. How did those kind of things come about?
0: Yeah, Intuanua were a significant band uh, in the mid 80s. And uh, there was a lot of attention around them, particularly with uh, record company execs from around the world trying to find the next U2. And so Paul Byrne, who was drummer in the band, had heard. Sinead sing and was transfixed but she was still very young middle teen years just too young even for an industry that kind of pushes very young people to the fore Um, so she did record a song with them called Take My Hand. She was in a band called Ton McCoot, and they blazed the trail in mid-80s Dublin and a lot of significant musicians took note, including The Edge, and one of the things that he was doing as an extracurricular activity outside of U2 was making the soundtrack for uh, an Irish movie called Captive, and she actually sings a song with him on, uh, on that she also uh, came to the attention of Falknall Calig who had been the uh, the head, who who was the head of Insign Records but had been the the man in charge of Mother Records which was the record label that U2 set up in the 80s and again there was a huge amount of attention on that who will sign to it so and, and she's still a teenager by the way when all this is happening she's 17 18 years old there is this sense within the industry that There's no flash in the pan here. This is somebody who is an extraordinarily rare talent.
1: Now, she comes, though, to broader attention with the launch of The Lion and the Cobra, effectively her debut album, and Mandinka. People are just captivated by her because the iconic image uh, of her, this serenely beautiful face, the shaved head, and yet she's, she's immediately a rock star. What impact did she have culturally at the time? It was an immediate impact. And certainly here in Ireland, um, the Late
0: Late Show was the vessel that would, by which most people would have first seen her. She always had a good relationship with Gabe Byrne. He was always somebody that sensed new talent as well. She had already given birth to her first child, Jake, and was just 20 when The Line and the Cobra came out in 1987. So already there had been so many life experiences. The album is astonishing Mandinka that you mentioned, there's a brilliant performance of it on the David Letterman show from that year, 1987.
1: Our next guest is a unique and striking new writer and singer from Ireland, whose first album is called The Lion and the Cobra. Folks, making her network television debut, please welcome Sinead O'Connor. Sinead?
0: She just looks so confident and vulnerable at the same time, and... There's just a sense that nobody has heard anything like this before, certainly from an Irish context, certainly from a a female context. And that album is enormous. And you fast forward to 1990 and... She covers a a pretty obscure Prince song, Nothing Compares to You, which he wrote for his side project, Family, a few years before. And that song becomes a global sensation and everything changes from then on. Buy an album called I Don't Want What I Haven't Got. It's going to be the new album by Sinead O'Connor, who gets her fourth week as Britain's number one with the brilliant Nothing Compares to You.
1: She is very much almost a, a reluctant star but this really propels her to absolute mainstream, top of the charts. It did. It
0: was a huge selling single um, all around the world, as was the album on which it appeared, her second album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. Uh, It sold bucket loads. The, The video for nothing compares to you, was a classic of the genre. It's it's a close-up of her face, a single tear rolling down her cheek. And it was on very heavy rotation on MTV. Don't forget that in the very early 90s, MTV was at its absolute peak. And the winner is Sinead O'Connor. And the award goes to...
1: Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares to you.
0: If you were getting significant exposure on that, you were bound for global stardom. And anybody looking on in 1990 to this 23-year-old Dubliner is going to think, here is one of the really big stars of the 1990s. It's all preordained effectively. But of course, that wasn't the way it turned out. And that's partly to do with Sinead's uncompromising approach to music and her art. And a lot of people weren't happy with it. I think one of the ways that the industry encourages commercial success and materiality is by having award ceremonies which very much uh, honor those who have achieved material success rather than people who have told the truth or who've done anything uh, to pass information to people or to inspire people or to, you know, just be uh, truthful about anything, you know what I mean?
1: Even her first appearance at the Grammy Awards where where she's nominated, she basically takes a principal stand because public enemy... Uh, a rap group are effectively arguing that they are being excluded because their genre of music isn't be, isn't being nominated and she appears with a with with their logo effectively carved into the side of her head kind of painted on to the side of her yeah. her shaved head so immediately you see this is somebody who is who is taking on causes
0: absolutely um, and, and and you know it, it it's funny to when you contrast her with other people from the era even provocateurs like Madonna, at the back of all of those people was this innate sense of not rocking the boat too much, not irritating the wrong people. And by by being sort of sycophantic, you can ascend to the top. Sinead O'Connor had no interest at any stage in her life in being sycophantic. I mean, most famously she ripped up a, po- a picture of Pope John Paul II on Saturday Night Live in 1992 in and it caused uproar. Of good
1: over
0: Before that, uh, at New Jersey, she had refused the U.S. National Anthem to be played before she came on stage, earning the wrath of people like Frank Sinatra. Looking back, those were very brave, principled stands. But, you know, her record company was kind of shocked because they immediately saw, you know, this is an artist that could be absolutely enormous and she is sabotaging that potential and it's fair to say that uh, shocked as many people were in this country in 1992 with the ripping up of the picture it was nothing like the outrage that greeted um, her response in America and and I think it's fair to say that she never regained her popularity in the states after that
1: But uh, before we start the show there's a little matter I want to clear up there was an incident on the show last week Sinead O'Connor tore up a picture of the Pope. But I'll tell you one thing, she was very lucky it wasn't my show. Because if it was my show, I would have gave her such a smack. On the one hand, she's very edgy, she's very controversial, but not for the sake of it, because she believes in these causes. And yet, on the, on the flip side, you look at the people who, who worked with her, as you say, The Edge, Prince, Peter Gabriel, Chris Christopherson, in, in movies, Neil Jordan and Jim Sheridan. So clearly, she was somebody who had these enormous creative talents that became a magnet for people who, who, who were happy to collaborate with her.
0: Oh, absolutely! And the amount of people I've interviewed, musicians I've interviewed over the years, who talk about her innate gifts, her extraordinary voice, um, and the, and and you've mentioned so many big names there, but there were there were so many smaller names as well that that she collaborated with. It's worth talking about Chris Christopherson for for a little while because. Again, anybody can go on YouTube to find this. In the wake of the controversy in the U.S., she appears at Madison Square Garden, a kind of a star-studded show, and she is roundly booed. And it is, it's really uncomfortable viewing, and she's alone on stage, but Chris Christopherson is the only big-name act that comes up stands beside her, puts his arm around her, says something in her ear.
1: They told me to get her off the stage and I said, I'm not about to do that. I went out and I said, don't let the bastards get you down. Yeah.
0: They subsequently collaborated, but it, it, it was indicative of how isolated she felt at the time. There's also footage of Madonna um, sort of lampooning um, her appearance on uh, Saturday Night Live as well. So there's this sense that a lot of her peers... Um, while they admired her greatly as a musician, they were also thinking of their own skins and they were distancing themselves from her. Um, and I think it must have been an exceptionally difficult time for Sinead O'Connor. She was still in her early 20s. She was a solo artist, not like you two, where you've got four people to kind of rally around each other. Um, and yet she had such unshakable belief in her own um, in her own morals that she stood her ground. She never apologized for any of that stuff.
1: And we very much start to see the, the vulnerable side coming through at that point can you just take me back to nothing compares to you it's it's a song that's most associated uh, with her it's it was a, a an obscure Prince number that she made her own it results in four Grammy nominations for the album and the song video of the year as you say artist of the year by by Rolling Stone but she talks in later days about her relationship with Prince the song success and time they spent together and it, and it's kind of disturbing to hear what she says. Did you ever actually meet Prince? We did
0: meet once but we, we didn't get on very well, we tried to beat each other up. Well it was more he tried to beat me up and I was defending myself. Five o'clock in the morning we're running around in his car, I'm spitting across the car at him. It is disturbing, I mean she paints a picture of a man who could be abusive in his own right it is fair to say that he has also passed on, he died at a young age too but that he was a, a control freak and he was jealous of the success that that she had with the song. He was an outstanding artist in his own right. Nobody will take that away from him. But she took that song and made it extraordinary. And she did that with so many songs. I mean, there, there's a... There's footage of an appearance of one of her many appearances on the Late Late Show when she sings an unaccompanied a cappella version of Danny Boy. And it's it's like nothing you've heard before. It's it's taking a song we all know so well and completely reinventing it. And just like she did with Nothing Compares to You, she had this unbelievable ability to get inside a song to embody it and to use her vocals which were so extraordinary right up to the end to make something magical from it and you know it is her defining song but there are so many great songs in her catalog
1: yeah as you say the career effectively it peaks from a mainstream perspective probably uh, in, in the early 90s and, and from then on we, we very much become familiar with, with, with Sinead's uh, private life and her own internal struggles there's a letter to the Irish Times that she personally pens in 92 calling for people to stop hurting her and then after that we see her relationship with religion becoming more and more to the fore can you tell us about that her ordination as a priest and so on
0: I um, became a priest because I believe in the church and I don't want the church to die because I believe in the power of prayer, the power of the spoken word, and because I believe in Christianity. And um,
1: I take it very, very seriously.
0: That was quite controversial. You know, she was ordained a priest by Michael Cox, uh, the, the, the contentious tridentine bishop in the early 2000s um, she took to wearing the kind of priestly outfit a garb with dog collar and you know a lot of people were exceptionally sceptical a sense that is this you know the chameleon Sinead just trying on new clothes um, literally and figuratively she had a, a passion for Islam as well at the end of her life I always think that her her love of religion was sincere. It, it wasn't for shock value, even though it ended up being for shock value. She was a deeply spiritual person. You can absolutely hear that in, in, in songs, particularly on the album Faith and Courage from the late 90s, which is a really interesting album, one of the best things she ever did. But I agree, like from, I suppose from the the mid to late 90s on, she became a tabloid fixture and, you know, constantly in the news due to different relationships, kind of arguments, um, you know, she could be a very contentious interviewee. She's always spoke her mind. She irritated lots of people. Um, And, you know, a lot of people who sort of lost touch with the artist in her didn't realize that During all of this period, she was still in studio. She was still making really interesting music, even if it didn't quite hit the zeitgeist like it had before. And in concert, she was amazing. And, 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 you know, that for me and anybody else who saw her in concert is the great kind of takeaway of Sinead O'Connor is just how remarkable she was on stage.
1: She has her first son Jake that's with her husband John Reynolds. She has a daughter Roisin, with with the, the journalist John Waters. There's a public breakup there. She she marries the British journalist Nick Summerlad. And you actually met her around about this time be, be, because you knew you knew Nick basically.
0: I d- I did. Yeah, I was friendly with Nick. This is in uh, in the early 2000s and On the odd occasion, I would go out to her home in Monkstown in Dublin and, you know, kind of meet with her and Nick, and there might be a few other people there. And, you know, somebody passionate about music, it was kind of a, a, a curious kind of thing to be sort of off the clock, but, you know, in the company of somebody who had such remarkable talent. And, you know, one great memory for me is that she was taken to kind of just drifting off to sing fragments of, of of songs just for no particular reason. And, you know, her voice in a room, in a small kind of, in a, in a relatively domestic setting, um, was astonishing. It, it unamplified, without any accompaniment. It was raw and beautiful. And when I heard the news of, of her passing, I immediately kind of, remembered those times and you know she she was somebody who didn't suffer fools gladly and she could be very challenging to chat to and i remember reviewing one of her shows many many years ago and getting a really irate phone call from her she'd been in new york and i think she'd seen the review and if memory serves she was annoyed by my interpretation of one of her new songs And, you know, I tried to defend myself, but she certainly let me have it with both barrels. But at the end of the conversation, she was very amicable. She was talking about, you know, like to see you again, hope all good with you and yours. Um, You know, there was a decency there, but also somebody who stood up for herself and who stood up for her art and who never compromised right to the
1: end. She did struggle with her mental health and she gave a very revealing interview to Oprah Winfrey.
0: The best way I could describe it to is you're so sad, just terribly sad, that you're like a bucket with holes in it, a bucket of water with holes in it. You're every pore of you is crying, do you know what I mean? You don't even understand why or what, you
1: know? The pain and the emotion that came across in her singing was genuine in that regard. Why do you think it was that she was so open uh, about all this? Was it a campaigning cause issue or did she feel that she just wanted people to know what she was going through?
0: Yeah, I think that one of the characteristics of Sinead O'Connor was just this extraordinary openness and honesty. And don't forget, she was somebody who has been in the public eye since she was a teenager. She has lived her life in the glare of publicity. And, uh, and, And I think, you know, some people are... Perfectly able to handle fame. Taylor Swift is a great example of this. You know, somebody from a really wealthy background who had parents on her side, a great management company, and she handles fame like water off a duck's back. Sinead was somebody who I think struggled with fame, particularly with the fallout that we talked about, you know, the 1992 episode on Saturday Night Live. One can only be grateful that that didn't happen during the social media age because of the viciousness of that. Um, And she certainly experienced the viciousness of social media. She kind of had a love-hate relationship with it. That interview on Oprah Winfrey, when she talked about trying to take her own life when she was just 33, it's harrowing. Um, It's raw. It's exceptionally vulnerable. Um, and there, there were other episodes like that in later life. You know where she'd go missing for days at a time, or she'd make a cryptic statement on on her Twitter page. I didn't want to make a video, but uh, you know the way your kid, unfortunately, passing away, it isn't good for one's body <laughs> or soul. To be fair, but anyway, look, let's not dwell on that. Anyway, hi guys. There was an awful lot of pain throughout her life you know her her son shane took his own life in january 2022 and that was devastating for her and she took herself out of the public eye for quite a while many wondered would she release any more music people thought she's been through so much particularly when her book rememberings captured the challenges of a very difficult childhood and then to kind of, to see this happen to your child. So she really struggled with mental health throughout her life, but I think those struggles also fed into her art. art. And one of the reasons why her songs are so special is because she poured herself into them. I mean, she wasn't just a technically gifted singer; she embodied everything she sung.
1: She was a mixture of rock, punk, folk, reggae, pop, and, and bel canto, all all rolled uh, into one. What what do you what do you think her legacy will be, and and how would she like to be remembered? Yeah, I mean, she had little interest in genre; every conceivable
0: style of music filtered into her songs. I think she would like to be remembered as a great singer who released some extraordinary music, who helped change lives, who stood up for women and vulnerable people, who talked about abuse, who was quite prescient in her statements about the Catholic Church. For me, it's the voice. And I remember seeing her in Vicar Street many years ago and there's a moment when the band quietens and it's just her singing and you, you can't hear a thing. There's just, you're holding your breath in because it's so captivating. And when she paused for breath, the only thing you could hear are the ventilation fans whirring above her. It's just th- that voice. It was extraordinary and it will always be extraordinary because as long as recorded music moves us, Sinead O'Connor will move us. Oh, Danny
1: boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling from Glen- And my thanks to John Maher for joining me. I'm Fiannaan Sheehan, and today's episode was produced by Gareth Mulhall, researched by Dave Hanratty, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from Channel 4, the BBC, News Talk, RTE, ABC, ITV, Saturday Night Live, The David Letterman Show, The Guardian, The Dr. Phil Show, The Own Network, Into Anua, Sinead O'Connor's Music, and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indoor Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. And if you have been affected by this podcast, you can find assistance at independent.e slash helplines.